Every second, every Sunday after Easter, we read the same gospel lesson. It's a lesson about the only disciple among them all who has a recognizable nickname. So it's about doubt. And, and, doubt, and we learn in every, every time we talk about it that doubt and faith are just two, two sides of the same coin. That uh, the opposite of faith isn't doubt, the opposite of faith is certainty. And, it, and the wrestling that we do is what really matters, the struggle that we have to understand what it means to be human and alive in light of the teachings of Christ. So I'm not gonna talk about that. You all already know all about that. When I was in seminary, there's another piece of the text that caught my attention. When I was in seminary, unlike anyone else, I always sat in the same chapel seat. And right directly across from me in a mosaic tile on the wall, it said, Ekipi Spiritum Sanctu, which means receive the Holy Spirit. And so I associate this passage with the church, the church which is to receive on Pentecost the Holy Spirit. Well, that encourages me to want to spend a few minutes this morning talking to you about the Episcopal Church, the church that I love, the Anglican Communion, its heritage, and why I think this church is so ideally uh, suited to confront the issues that face us in the 21st century. First of all, I think you already know this, but if you don't, I love the Episcopal Church. I can't imagine why everybody isn't an Episcopalian. <laughs> it dumbfounds me. Why? All over Washington, there are people clutching their cell phones saying, I wish someone would call and invite me to an Episcopal Church. <laughs> Especially that yellow one, you know, the one across the the one across the street from the uh, Hay Adams. Uh, first, let me, so let me try to identify three uh, strengths of our church, which I think are important and useful in this 21st century. First, the first strength is, is the fact that we are born of a compromise the so-called Via Media, the Middle Way, the Elizabethan settlement between the forces of Catholicism in England and the forces of uh, Protestantism in England and throughout Northern Europe. It was not Henry VIII who created the Anglican Church. Give all that credit to Elizabeth I. In the middle of the seven, uh, 16th century, she articulated rules with the help of some wise advisors, Thomas Cramner, um, among uh, maybe most prominently, uh, Thomas, uh, Richard Hooker, equally prominently, that carved a path between Roman Catholicism with its strictures and its um, unwanted allegiance to Rome and Protestant, uh, 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 the Protestantism uh, that was alive in, uh, in, in her day uh, with its uh, uh, strictures on human behavior. 
its understandings of human behavior. And she carved this, this path this, between the two. Now, it took 100 years, more than 100 years, and maybe, arguably, we're still sort of struggling with that. But the reality is it created a church, an Anglican communion, an Episcopal church, which is a compromise. And being a compromise, it means that we understand in our bones somewhere, in our DNA, that there's always another side. There's always another point of view. And it's okay to listen to the other point of view. And maybe somewhere we can find our way between differing points of view. A, an, a, a, a state of mind or an approach which is hard to come by in some places these days, and I didn't say in Washington. The, um, uh, but that give us, gives us a certain open-mindedness. Now, the Episcopal Church and, and sometimes the Anglican Communion are accused of being wishy-washy, right? I mean, you know, no, no real hard, fast doctrine. Right, um, that's us. We're, we're not the church of the easy answers. We're the church of the good questions. And it's in the dialogue that faith is formed. It's not in dogma, it's in dialogue. And that's what this church is about. And in a world that is um, overshadowed by globalization, that's an important thing to be able to understand that we can learn from one another, that we can, that we can grow. Without surrendering who we are, we can grow. The second important thing about the Episcopal Church comes from that compromise, and that is the wonderful liturgy we enjoy. There is, there is no better liturgy than what the Episcopal Church, what the Anglican Communion offers. And if you think about it, the two halves of our service are in fact that compromise, are they not? The first half is the liturgy of the word, which is very Protestant in nature, and the second half is the liturgy of Holy Communion, which is very sacramental, uh, very uh, Catholic in, in nature. And so our very liturgy reflects the sort of compromise. And even more importantly than that, nah, as important as that, is the wonderful music that we've inherited and that we use all the time. And it comes from everywhere within the broader Anglican communion, whether it's Thomas Tallis from the English Reformation or Siahama from South Africa. It's all, it's all part of us and it's, and, and it's uplifting and it's, and, and it's enlivening, it's encouraging. The music is just spectacular. All these people back here don't necessarily agree with that, but it's true, I'm just kidding. The music here, as you know, is wonderful and, uh, and it's a great blessing. But throughout the church, there's just fantastic, uh, fantastic music. Frederick Beekner, who was a Presbyterian minister, writing, who, who, who wrote a lot, writing about the Episcopal church he attends in New Hampshire, said it has the, it has the power and the music and the mystery to transform us. I'd like to think that's true everywhere in our church. It has the power and the music and the mystery to transform us. I can't tell you how many people I've married, how many couples I've married, where one 
person uh, grew up in the Catholic Church and the other grew up in a Protestant denomination and they found a home in the Episcopal Church. I, I'm sure that applies to some of you. They found a home in the Episcopal Church because of this way it works and because both can be comfortable with the liturgy and in fact be, be enlightened by it. The third great benefit is a little trickier to explain, but I've talked about it before I know. It's the Celtic heritage of this church. The, I, we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about St. Patrick and in that context, a little bit about the Celtic heritage. This is, Celtic Christianity predated the arrival of, of uh, the Roman Catholic Church to the, to, to the British Isles and, um, and was a synthesis of of early Christianity and a pre-existing Celtic uh, uh, worship. Um, there's a whole lot to say about it, and I hope you read a book sometime or several of them because it's fascinating stuff. But we inherit some aspects of that uh, Celtic, Celtic tradition. For those early uh, Celtic Christians, everything, everything was holy, everything. Everything was holy because everything was created by God. And therefore, the, the world wasn't bifurcated into sacred and profane for them. It was all holy. It was all sacred. Every rock, every tree, every blade of grass, every human being. Holy. Just think if we actually treated one another that way all the time. Moreover, God is imminent. God is with us. Episcopalians are sometimes accused of being incarnational, by which they mean that, by which it, by which it means that, the, that God is understood as, as being present all the time, present in Christ, present in us, present in our world, always with us. And that's a Celtic, that's, that, that comes from our Celtic heritage. God is an imminent God, mysterious, invisible, but imminent. Moreover, God intends that everyone is equal. There is no hierarchy in Celtic Christianity, no distinctions based on uh, gender or, or, um, or uh, uh, no distinction between clergy and laity, no hierarchical distinction between clergy and laity. And we inherit that. Everyone is worthy of respect. Finally, and I think this is the most important aspect of Celtic Christianity, the world is a hopeful place. The world is full of hope because God created the world and when God created everything, he saw that it was good. And so throughout the, in, in every part of the world, there is goodness, would say, would the, is what the Celts would say. In every part of the world and in every human person there is goodness. Now I will tell you, this is a footnote, that in the current church is heresy. Because, why? Because uh, according to St. Augustine, we're all corrupt and fallen ever since the fall of Adam. And so it's a different way of looking at it. So if we're all corrupt, then we, all of us need Christ 
in order to be redeemed. The Celtic point of view would be, there is good in all of us, but we're imperfect. And in order to achieve some other level of perfection, we need Christ. And the distinction is dramatic. It's a, it's a very profound distinction and impacts the church uh, in, a, in, a, in a significant way. If we're, all, if we're all corrupt and need Christ to be saved, then who mediates Christ to the world? The church. So the church is really important. So it's a kind of a clericism. But in the Celtic, in Celtic sensibility, the, the clergy are, are, are there just to conduct rituals and to talk about what matters. I wish we could get to the point, and maybe we won't before I've gone, maybe we will, I've done it in some places, where a sermon wasn't a lecture like this, but we all talked about stuff. Wouldn't that be fun? I, you know, I think people want to talk about things. You know, you don't need a lecture from me. We need an exchange of ideas. That would be a very Celtic Christian thing to do. Well, that's a lot to take in, and, and um, uh, but but it means a lot to me, and and, and um, so I hope uh, I hope you can love the Episcopal Church the way I do, because I don't think there's anything like it. There is one uh, uh, one. Uh, Concern, I guess, uh, 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 one, one thing to think about, one caution. The enemy of all of this, of course, is complacency. Or taken to an extreme, rigidity. Hanging on to, what, to this heritage and not being open to what uh, God may be bringing next to us. There's a, there's a pew down there that says the pre presidential pew. You know what? That's not something to be admired. That's something to be thought of as bait. What that does is draw people in to the church so that they can become disciples of Christ. And I know disciples of Christ sounds awfully evangelical. And we Episcopalians shy or shy of the word evangelism. But disciple comes from a, a, a Latin word discipulus, which means student. So let's not say disciples, let's say students of Christ. Because the truth is we're all students of Christ or we wouldn't be here. Isn't that right? We're students. And we're continuing to, to learn and it takes a lifetime uh, to get it right. But we can't be complacent about it. We can't be the church that creates disciples in order to maintain the church. We have to be the church that creates disciples in order to change the world. Well, it's, uh, oh. There's another thing. I sometimes worry that we, all of us, the, church, the whole church, uh, abdicates its moral authority when, um, when in fact it's required to speak out. So here I stand again after a synagogue shooting and I wonder what, you know, once again, I wonder what 
should we be doing about that? Well, we cannot do nothing because that sacrifices the moral authority of the church. We have to be agents for change when it comes to the, to the moral imagination of the people around us. We have to stand for something. How about let's stand for thou shalt not kill? That ought to be pretty easy. So I'm, I, uh, uh, I worry that we don't maybe speak out enough sometimes. And it's our, it's our responsibility because we're called by Christ to be Christ's students. And like his disciples of every generation, we're called to speak out on behalf of justice and truth and integrity and the gospel. Well, I leave you with all those thoughts. Um, I, do, I, just, I do want to add that it's been a great pleasure for me to be able to serve you the past few months, and I will, uh, I will miss you, but uh, perhaps you'll remember some of those things that I've said along the way, including what a wonderful church this is, and I hope that you will love it as much as I do. Amen.